Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 41 says this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep, and he said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is Week. Let's pray together tonight as we get started. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would be transformative in our hearts. We are a people who need to be shifted. We need to be moved closer to you. And I pray, God, that as we open your word, that you would change us. We would be able to leave this room looking a little bit more like your son. We love you. We pray for your spirit to be at work as we study your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, when I was 15, I was a sophomore at Red Mountain High School in Mesa, Arizona. I went to this mammoth high school. There was over 3,000 students at this school. And that culture of having this huge, giant space was juxtaposed to my church culture, which is where I spent the other 50% of my life, was at a church of about 200 people. And it was much smaller. And at my church, I felt known and accepted and valued. But then at my mammoth high school, I felt very overwhelmed and anxious and very cautious. And so in this jungle of a high school that I went to, there was one place that I did find safety. There was one place where I did feel known and accepted and valued. And if you think I'm about to start talking about my baseball team, then we don't know each other very well. If you're thinking I'm about to talk about either choir, band, or drama club, then congratulations, you get a prize. So in choir... (laughs) I loved choir. It was a place that was smaller, and it was a place where I found something that I was good at. I was a sophomore, and I was kind of this excelling vocalist at that point, and I was able to be in a lot of the groups that you had to be older, but I was able to be in them at a younger age. If you're asking me about how I feel about my singing voice today, it's kind of a nice 50-50 split between thankfulness for the things that I can't do and then awareness of the things that I can't do. But uh, when I was 15, I didn't have any of this... uh, humility stuff over here. So when I was 15, I was great. I was, I was really, really good. And I will never forget the first concert that I had as a sophomore in high school at Red Mountain High School. And it was a really cool day because it was a full day because I had been in these three different performing groups that were all performing in the same concert. And I actually had a solo, which was a big deal for my very first concert. And so they had a rehearsal that was set aside at lunch and, uh, and I could have rushed over there, but I didn't want to be late because I wanted to be a good member of the choir. So I skipped lunch and went to that rehearsal. 
at lunchtime. And then the advanced group, they had rehearsal immediately after school that really carried it all the way up until the concert at 7 o'clock at night. So I'd gone through all of these things, and as I'm strapping myself into my tuxedo for the evening, I have this thought that I remember, which is, oh, I forgot to eat. And, and it wasn't a, I forgot to eat dinner, it was a, I forgot to eat today, that I had just kind of gone through all of these things. So if you're thinking that this story is going to end very poorly for myself, you also get a prize. We have spent the last three weeks working through a series called Wonderful Counselor, focusing on Jesus' title as the Wonderful Counselor. You know, before Jesus was born, before Isaiah the prophet even knew his name would be Jesus, he knew his title. In Isaiah 9, 6, the prophet tells us that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are the roles that the Messiah will fill. And we've decided to take this series in the five weeks leading up towards Christmas to focus on this one title, this one role as Wonderful Counselor. I believe that your life was not designed to make decisions by yourself, that when we separate ourselves from wise voices in our life, we make unwise decisions. And out of all of the places that you could receive godly counsel from, and there are many wonderful places that you can receive godly counsel from, there is only one person who is worthy of the title of wonderful counselor. And he is the Messiah. He is Jesus. He is the one. And he wants you to turn to him. That when you get in trouble, he wants you to call his name. When you don't know what to do, he wants you to call his name. When you are stuck and you need wise counsel, we need to call on the wonderful counselor. During this series, we have focused on different topics that might cross paths with the counseling world of things you might discuss if you were actually to go see a professional counselor, but we are looking, the, looking at them through the lens of Jesus, of if Jesus is our wonderful counselor, what would he have to say about these things? So we've talked about empathy and forgiveness, and last week, Lori Guineer was here, and we talked about grief, and tonight, I want to talk about vulnerability. So what is vulnerability? Well, the, the word vulnerability really comes from a Latin word that is vulnus, which really just means wound or to be wounded. In our culture today, we could use the word vulnerability in a lot of different ways. I mean, you could talk about um, vulnerable people as maybe someone who's very um, unprotected or unguarded because of a wound that they've experienced. Maybe the way that you would think about a soldier on a battlefield, well, if that soldier is wounded, then that soldier would be more vulnerable than a soldier who is very healthy. And we would think of that as, a, as vulnerable people or a vulnerable person. But when we think about this term and we move into the counseling world, we really want to talk about it more as a decision or a choice, like a decision to be vulnerable, not as a victim, not because of something outside of our control, but as an intentional, disciplined decision to be vulnerable. It's the difference between choosing to walk through life closed off and protected or to walk through life open and unguarded. I want to give you this definition for vulnerability today, and it looks like this. Vulnerability is the conviction to live openly and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering. Now, part of that definition sounds really good to me. The other part doesn't sound really great. And, and that's the challenge that we're going to run into today. If given the choice between guarded or unguarded, who would ever choose 
unguarded. And to every person in the room who may own a guard dog or a gun or a security system, or they just have like a sign of a security system in their front yard for a security system they no longer have, who would ever choose unguarded? If the choice is between walking through life protected or unprotected, who would ever choose unprotected? Between safe or vulnerable, who would ever choose vulnerable? And then, on the world stage, the God of the universe decides to send his son into the world as a naked, crying, and vulnerable baby. You know, as Christians, we believe that life begins at conception, which means Jesus didn't just come as a baby. Jesus came as a simple cell organism, and at week three, he turned into an embryo, and at week nine, he turned into a fetus, and at week 40, he was born. This feels like a very vulnerable plan. Could there not have been a safer way? There are many moments in Jesus' adult life where he demonstrates this choice to be vulnerable. Instead of covering up the weaknesses of his humanity, he lives openly and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering. The mystery of Christ is that he was 100% God and 100% man. And so in his godness, yes, he was eternal and infinite, but in his humanity, he understood our weaknesses, that he was 100% man, and he didn't hide it. If you ask Jesus, hey, man, how are you doing? He never lied and said, I'm fine. He lived openly and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering. In Luke chapter 19, there's two episodes where Jesus makes this choice to be vulnerable, and they're diametrically opposed, and I think it's just fascinating how they're just about six verses apart from each other in Luke chapter 19. So the first one is Jesus is walking up to the city of Jerusalem, and he sees Jerusalem in the distance, and when he does, he thinks about the people of Jerusalem. He thinks about how these people have turned away from the true Messiah, and they've missed it. They've been waiting for the Messiah. He's here, and they've missed it. And Jesus is filled with heartbreak, and he starts crying. And so he's standing there watching the city, his disciples around him, and the Bible says that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. And here we see him making this choice. Jesus, could you not just hold it together? Like, if we think about him as 100% God, he knew this was going to happen. He knew they were going to reject him. He knew he would be standing here at this moment. He knew all of this was going to happen. How is he surprised by this, but he's not just 100% God. He's 100% man, and in this moment, he's experiencing heartbreak. If you have ever felt heartbreak for a friend or a family member who has turned their back on God or someone who has yet to ever come to relationship with Christ, if you have ever had someone in your life that you have worried for their soul, Jesus felt that, and when he felt that, he wept. And he showed that in front of his disciples. He let them see his vulnerability. He was not covering up his heart. He was not covering up the weakness, the fragility of his humanity. So six verses after this happens, Jesus is now inside the city. He goes to the temple, and when he walks into the temple, he finds all of these people, 
that are set up and they're trading money and they're making money off of people that had come to worship. And what happens to his heart? He is filled with rage. And Jesus gets so angry, he starts yelling and he starts flipping tables of the money changers in the temple. I want you to imagine if this exact same story had happened to someone besides Jesus. So let's imagine that Peter or John was the one that was flipping tables. I think if we read that story and Peter was flipping tables, we would have said, ah, Peter lost his temper. That's so immature of Peter. I can't believe Peter's showing anger that way. That's so immature. He's going to have to repent of that. It's not Peter. It's Jesus. And Jesus is sinless, which lets us know this is not a mistake. We're not watching Jesus make a mistake by showing anger. We live in a culture where we would look at this display and most of us would assume that it was a mistake. Oh, I can't believe he lost control like that. And Jesus says, no, I am making a decision to live openly and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering. I don't need to hide this. I want to be authentic. I want to show you who I am. I want you to show you what I'm thinking, and I want to show you what I am feeling. And he continues to teach us this, this pattern. I think the greatest example of Christ's vulnerability is in the passage we read at the very beginning tonight. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his crucifixion, and in his sorrow, Jesus expresses vulnerability to his friends and then to God. Let's read this again together. So verse 36 to 38. Then Jesus went with them to the Olive Garden called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Okay, I'm sorry. Did the perfect son of God just say, my soul is crushed. Think about that. Did the perfect son of God just say, my soul is crushed? If Jesus was perfect, shouldn't his soul have been uncrushable? Like, think about it. Shouldn't he have been able to face this night with unflinching resolve? Jesus is feeling the weakness of humanity, and he's not just feeling it. He is sharing it with his friends. Peter, my soul is crushed. John, my soul is crushed. The New International Version says, my soul is overwhelmed. He's sitting there with his closest friends on a night of terrible pain and suffering, and he looks at him and he says, this feels like it's too much. My soul is overwhelmed. When is the last time that you expressed vulnerability to a friend? When is the last time that you chose to be unguarded rather than guarded? Sentences that express vulnerability usually start like this. I'm really sad because. I'm really scared because. I'm really discouraged because. I'm really angry because. Our culture has wired us to believe that vulnerability is weakness and yet... If Jesus is demonstrating vulnerability to us, I'm more inclined to believe that vulnerability is strength. If he says, this is the way, this is the pattern, follow after me, don't hide, be open, live openly and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering, 
he's someone worth following. And I'm inclined to believe that vulnerability is actually strength. I can hear your thoughts. Yes, Dan, but if you are open with people, they're going to let you down. And can I remind you which friends Jesus is talking to right now? If you feel like you're the only one who's experienced disappointment from being open and then being let down, may I remind you which friends Jesus is talking to right now? And within an hour, all of these men are going to go running away from him and leave him abandoned in the captivity of the Roman soldiers. In three hours from now, Peter is going to deny the fact that he's ever met Jesus. I want to be clear. If I'm encouraging you tonight to be vulnerable, I am not promising you that that is going to go well for you. I am not promising you that if you are open and live wholeheartedly that everyone's going to be nice to you and that that is going to be reciprocally given back to you in grace from the people that you're talking to. You might still get punched in the throat. Someone might still poke you in the eye. The point is not that things are going to go well. The, things, the point is that Jesus has taught us to live openly and wholeheartedly. Despite pain and suffering, there was still a value for him to express this to his friends, even though his friends were about to abandon him. There was still something worth imitating for us, even though Peter was about to deny he had ever met him. Within... And it's so easy when you have wounded, been wounded to throw in the towel. I'll never trust my boss again. I'll never be close to my brother again. I'll never love again. When it comes to living a life that is closed off and guarded, betrayal might explain it, but betrayal can't excuse it. Why? Because vulnerability is living openly and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering. After Jesus expresses vulnerability to his friends, there's another person that he goes to. And let's read about that in verse 39. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. When is the last time that you expressed vulnerability to God? Can we have a quick, quick side conversation about the word authentic? So the word authentic really just means congruent. So it means that the things that are inside of me are the same as the things that are outside of me. And so what, what you see in public, what you see in privately, and then my internal self, when all of those things are all the same, I am then being authentic. You don't actually have to be a nice person to be authentic. You just have to be congruent, right? So if I am hateful outwardly, inwardly to the people in private and the people in public, I'm then an authentically hateful person. Does that make sense? And sometimes, sometimes we, we, we can miss you this word. Like you might say like, oh, I like, I like Dan's preaching style because he's very authentic. Well, if you only know me from this stage, then you're not really the person to make that judgment because you don't know me privately. Like the person who's able to decide if I'm being authentic tonight or not is like my 10-year-old child or my wife or someone who is with me in the private and in the public to say those things are the same. The way that you talk now, the way you talk to yourself and your mind, the way you talk to your spouse, when all of those things are the same, then you are authentic. I want to encourage you to be authentic when you approach your Heavenly Father. 
You can't fool him, but often we fool ourselves by saying the things we think we're supposed to say or feeling the things we think we're supposed to feel. You know, there's a song that we sing here on Sunday nights called Overflow, and the lyrics to the verse are, to the chorus are very simple, but they're profound. And it's, Lord, my cup is empty. Lord, my cup is empty. Fill me with your spirit to overflow, overflow. Be filled. <laughs> this song is a, it's a statement of vulnerability. Lord, I want to be filled, but I cannot be filled until I say out loud, I'm empty. You know, if I walk through every day of my life saying, I'm full, I'm full, everything's fine, everything's fine, I'm good, I'm full, I'm full, then where does, where's the filling? There is, there is a peace that cannot be undone until I'm willing to stand before my God and say, God, I'm empty empty. Fill me with your spirit. Check this out. If you want God to provide a miracle in your finances, I dare you to go to God and say, my soul is crushed. I cannot do this without you. If you want God to restore a relationship with a child or a parent, I dare you to go to God and say, my soul is crushed. I cannot do this without you. If you want God to lead you from singleness into a Christ-centered marriage. You know, you see, this is, this is the lie of the I'm fine, right? You know, so like we're on Facebook pretending everything is fine. Every meal that we eat is an artistic masterpiece. And, you know, then there's some girl shares about how she's had a terrible day with a selfie where she has filtered out every flaw on her face until she looks like an anime character. And we're all like, oh, she's so brave. You cannot be filled until you can say, I'm empty. You cannot be forgiven until you can say, I've sinned. You cannot be healed until you can say, I'm sick. You cannot be restored until you can say, I'm broken. And when we walk around all day of every day saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's good, where is the authenticity where is the connection to God? Where is the connection to those that are around us when we're not willing to live openly and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering? I want to tell you what was going through my head on the night of that first Christmas or that first choir concert that I had at Red Mountain High School in Mesa, Arizona. What was in my head, it was three words, and it goes like this. Don't be weak. Here's the difference between men and women when it comes to social um, expectations. You know, for women, uh, social expectations is like this giant spaghetti bowl filled with an unending amount of conflicting and impossible objectives. So it's, you know, be beautiful and be smart and be strong and be a boss, but make everyone like you. And, you know, be an amazing baker, but be super thin. It's one or the other, ladies. It's one or the other. For men, there's just one drawer, and it's those three words, don't be weak. And there's, there's this simple mandate for men of don't do anything that would make you appear weak. And as a 15-year-old, I understood this. And so my whole day was based around holding all of the cards together, helping the card castle not to fall. And it was, well, I can't be late to this lunch rehearsal, so I'm going to skip lunch and go and do this. And then I've got to do this, and I've got to be here for this, and I can't miss social time. You know, like I've, I've got to do everything and exceed expectations and don't be weak. So I remember the moment that I was standing there and I had this conscious thought of, that's funny, there's clouds in the room. 
and this is before the use of a haze machine. And so, and I'm thinking, what do I do, what do I do? And I'm thinking, don't be weak, don't be weak, because it would be incredibly embarrassing for me to like walk off the stage because I was feeling lightheaded, that'd be terrible. It would be incredibly embarrassing for me to like sit down on the choir riser because I would be showing weakness and I couldn't possibly do that. So I remember when it went black. And I, rem I remember waking up because when I woke up, I had this like, <laughs> this pain in my stomach that was like something had been laying on my stomach. And uh, once it was explained to me, it was actually the other way around. So when I started falling, my choir director jumped up really quickly and put me on his shoulder, and somehow in the state of my passing out, my body didn't collapse, but it stayed rigid like a board. And so then he like horizontally carried me off stage. I cannot tell you on the van ride home how hard I tried to convince my parents to move. This sermon has one point, and this point is going to make absolutely no sense out of context, but I think it'll make sense tonight. So here we go. You ready? Don't lock your legs. There is a thing inside of our humanity that says, I have to be strong. I cannot be weak. I have to pull it together. I have to look perfect. I have to keep faking this. I have to keep this above. I have to pretend like everything's okay. And we metaphorically and occasionally literally lock our legs and we say, I can do this. I just can't let anyone see my weakness. I have to cover this up. I have to keep pretending. I can't let myself be real or authentic because then the wolves will come out and they will attack and I will never survive this. And so I am going to walk through life as guarded and protected and as cautiously and anxiously as possible, protecting myself as if I was the only defender of my soul, as if I was both the the the, the the grand solution for how I was going to be saved, if I was my own savior, I'm going to lock my legs and I'm going to be okay. And I promise you, when you walk through life with your legs locked, you're going to pass out. And Jesus says, Jesus demonstrates for us, he says, be authentic. Don't hide. Bring your shame to me. Bring your guilt to me. If you ever want to be filled, come to me and say out loud, I'm empty. I don't have enough. I am hurting. I am frustrated. I am angry. I am not in the relationship that I want to be in. I am not in the job that I want to be in. I am broken. I feel disoriented. I need help. And when you call out to your heavenly father and you say, I'm empty, he will fill you. He will give you his strength. He will be with you. He has demonstrated us to us the path and the way and all we need to do is stop locking our legs, stop pretending. When you close off to the bad, the problem with living a protected life is you also close off to the good. If you ever want to find a loving relationship in your life, if you want a loving marriage, if you want loving friendships, and you walk through life with your arms crossed and brace for the next punch, you're never going to have those relationships because you cannot selectively close off. You are either open or you are closed. And when you walk through life closed off with your legs locked, you're just going to miss out 
Stop pretending. We pretend that everything's fine. There's a thing that we fall into a trap as religious people, and it is the trap of making the uncertain certain. We feel safer when we can know everything 100%, and we have turned faith into fact, and we miss it when we pretend that we completely understand everything that there is to know about Christ, when we completely understand everything that there is to know about the Bible, when we completely understand everything that is about how faith is lived out in our life, and when we we turn faith into fact, it's like some kind of blanket we want to hold up against ourselves and say, look, I'm safe. There is mystery in there, this life. There are things that we don't understand. His understanding is higher than ours. And for us to pretend that we've got it all down is us locking our legs and you will pass out. When pain and suffering comes, you will pass out. And God says, come to me, say it out loud, I'm empty, and when you do, you're going to live life open and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering, and you will live life like Jesus lived life, and we will see his kingdom come on this earth. Can you say amen? I, I want to let you know I'm not preaching things that I'm not a part of. I had a phone call this week that the Holy Spirit told me to make because I have a relationship in my life that has fallen apart, and I want to put it back together. And there is an effort that takes a lot of effort and a lot of sweat, and sometimes I'm really tired to do it, to get on the phone or make a text or make a call and start a conversation that says, I need you in my life. I'm empty, and I would like you back in my life. It's, it's the path, it's the way, it's the Jesus way. And I think if we begin to take baby steps to move our heart in that direction, I think you'll see transformation and I think you'll experience freedom. I think there'll be a lifting off of your heart. I think some of the anxiety and the weight and the depression that can push on us, I think as we follow the character of Christ, as we follow his teaching, I think we're going to feel that begin to lift off of us. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, I come before you. I know we've, we've touched onto a lot of things. I think for a lot of people who have experienced betrayal in their life, I think this subject might spark some of those mem memories back into our consciousness. I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing. I pray, Lord, that the wounds of our past would not be the defining notion of our future. I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to live openly and wholeheartedly despite pain and suffering. I pray that you would help us to follow your pattern. I pray that you would allow us to follow your spirit. We love you and we need you tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.